The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. As Jill mentioned, it's been quite a week. Uh, if I never see another U-Haul, I'll, I will be happy. We, we, <laughs> amen. <laughs> I, I moved a small U-Haul down when I came down, and then uh, my family moved here. They were here for Easter. Some of you may have seen them there. And then uh, I flew back up, and my dad and I drove a bigger U-Haul this week, and 940 miles, and it was quite fun, to say the least. <laughs> But I'm glad to be back and glad I'm not making that round trip again anytime soon. Andy is a 21-year-old that lives at home. He graduated from high school two and a half years ago, but now he spends his days sitting on the couch and playing video games and watching movies and on social media sites with his friends. Now, his family has the means to send him to college, but he hasn't wanted to go yet. And he's had several job offers, but none of them really seem to fit him very well. So he waits. His his parents come from a school of thought that says, you don't need to push your kids that hard. They'll find their way eventually, so just let them be. But Andy's friends, on the other hand, they can't understand. Many of them are in college. Several of them have jobs. A few of them even went and backpacked through Europe last summer. And Andy sits on the couch. When Andy's friends see him, they they have this question for him. What are you waiting for? There's a whole world out there of adventure. There's mountains to climb, people to meet, knowledge to be gained. And you're just wasting away on the couch. What's Andy waiting for? Well, if you asked him, Andy would say he's waiting for just the right opportunity. He's waiting for certainty that what he does is going to be fulfilling and fun and everything that he wants it to be. He's waiting for assurance that he will not fail and that he won't be made too uncomfortable. Besides, he's almost gotten a high score in his favorite video game. And there are several more movies that he wants to see. He'll get out there eventually. Now, Andy is living a life that not many of us would endorse, right? If we saw him, we'd say, Andy, get out there. Take a risk. Do something. And we wouldn't want to live like Andy, most of us. But when it comes to our faith, we're a lot more like Andy than we even realize a lot of times. When it comes to faith, we sit back and wait we, we don't want to get out there and, and take that step into something new and take that step into the adventure that God has for us. One of the coolest things when I was interviewing here at Highlands was when I went, went on the website and I read a little bit, highlandsadventure.org. And how here at Highlands, we believe that following Jesus Christ, becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ is life's greatest adventure. Yet many of us are just kind of sitting back and waiting to jump in. We're waiting for maybe certainty about God, or, or we want to make sure that we have more time or more energy, or we want more purpose. We'll take the next step in faith eventually. 
Regardless of where you are in the faith journey, if this is your first time ever in a church or if you grew up in a church, there is something for each of us that's holding us back, that's keeping us from stepping into that adventure that God has for us. So we're going to begin a new series today called Living the Adventure. And we're going to ask the question, what are you waiting for? What is keeping you from living the adventure? Now, for many people, the answer to that question is proof. When they're asked, what are you waiting for? They're saying, I want proof. I want assurance that God is real. I want to know that he is with me and that he is good. They have doubts about God, and they feel like if I could just get some proof that would eliminate my doubts, then I could take that step forward. Well, this is what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at this topic of proof and and doubts and how those kind of intermingle together. And we're going to do it by looking at the story of somebody who wanted proof, somebody who's famously known as Doubting Thomas. We're going to read about him in John chapter 20, and we'll find where he got that label that has stuck with him 2,000 years of doubting Thomas. We're going to read John chapter 20, beginning in verse 24. It says this, Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. Now Jesus has risen from the grave. He's appeared to the other disciples. But Thomas wasn't with him. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, think about that, a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to them, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. This is God's word for us this morning. Now, like Thomas, many of us are looking for proof. We want to know that God is real and God is here. And so we'll say, if God would just like put a huge neon sign in the sky that was like blinking on and off and said, I am real, I am here, then I could step out and live this adventure. Or if God sent the army of angels that we sung about this morning and we could see them, First of all, we would be terrified. But <laughs> if, if God did, then, and we could see them, then we would know that he is real. If, God, if I pray some grandiose prayer that's totally unlikely, and, and I say, God, if you give this to me, I'll know that you're real. Sometimes we do that. Or sometimes we just want the burning bush like Moses had, where God speaks in an audible voice out of a bush that's not burning up, though there's flames all over it, then we would know that God is real. But even if we had something like that, would we still be doubt-free? Thomas doubted. 
And Thomas doubted even though he had been given a ton of proof. As one of the 12 disciples, he was given a front row seat to Jesus' earthly ministry. He saw Jesus raise people from the dead, the daughter of a synagogue leader named Jairus. He also saw a widow's son raised from the dead. He saw Lazarus walk out of a tomb after he'd been in there for days. And he also saw the other miracles of Jesus. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus give blind people sight and lepers made clean. People who were crippled, he saw, could walk after they had encountered Jesus. And he had this firsthand account from people that he trusted that Jesus had risen from the grave, that Jesus had come and he'd showed them his hands and his side and that they had believed. So he had all of this proof, but it wasn't enough. He needed more. And Thomas isn't the only person in the Bible who was given tremendous proof and still struggled and wrestled with doubts. The book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible, tells a story of a world that we would just love, that gives the proof that we are longing for. The nation of Israel was taken out of slavery, and as they were escaping and the Egyptians were chasing after them, and they were stuck against the Red Sea, what did God do? He parted the waters of the sea, and they walked across on dry ground. I read author Philip Yancey once said, there weren't many atheists in, in this time. They, they had a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that was the visible representation of God's presence with them. When they woke up in the morning and they were hungry, they found manna on the ground that God had provided for them overnight. And they would watch Moses walk into a tent and meet with God face to face, and a cloud of, the pillar of cloud would guard the entrance to the tent when Moses would go in there. And when Moses came out after meeting with the Lord, he was glowing like a space alien. And, and people, they, they wouldn't even look at him. They wouldn't talk to him until he put a veil over his face. They had so much proof that God was with them and that God was real. Yet they had all sorts of doubts. They doubted in God's goodness. They doubted if they should have ever left Egypt. They thought that they should go back, and they doubted if they should follow Moses over and over again. Fast forward more than a thousand years to the time that Jesus was on earth. Now, Jesus had, had this, this crowd had followed him to the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and, and the people had been there for a long time, and the disciples finally said, it's getting late. You need to send these people away so that they can eat. And Jesus said, no, you give them something to eat. And so the disciples went around, and they got as much food as they could find among the people there. They were left with five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, there were 5,000 men there, and that doesn't include the women and the children. They had five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus had the people sit down, and he prayed over the food. And as they passed it out, it just kept multiplying and multiplying until everybody was fed and everybody was filled. And then the disciples collected leftovers. Now, wouldn't it be great if you're hosting Thanksgiving for a bunch of people to have Jesus come along? <laughs> you could put out like one plate of food and then every, and stand back, and that would be wonderful. 
Check out what happened the next day after Jesus had done this miraculous miracle. The people who'd eaten the bread found Jesus the next day, and here's what happened. We're going to put it up on the screen. Then they asked him, the people who had eaten this bread the day before, what must we do to do the good works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Do you see the irony of this request? The day before, they had been given bread from heaven. Jesus had multiplied the bread that they had and filled them. It was an amazing miracle that pointed back to that miracle of manna in the wilderness. But it wasn't enough for them. They wanted more. They needed more proof. What all this means is that seeing doesn't necessarily mean believing. If you look back at things from God's perspective, the people that he gave tremendous proof to, that didn't have very much bearing on whether or not they had faith, whether or not they believed him, whether or not they followed him. God can perform all the pyrotechnics in the sky that he wants to, but it will not make us believe, and it cannot force us to love him. The truth is that proof will not eliminate our doubts. The people who've had proof still doubted in God's goodness, in his presence with them, and they doubted whether he was worthy of their allegiance. It's like all of creation, we gather together and we say, I want the proof! And God says, you can't handle the proof. (laughs) The proof won't make you believe. So instead of looking for proof, maybe we need to learn what to do with the doubts that we encounter. And first, let me say that the presence of doubt does not mean the absence of faith. I'll say it again. The presence of doubt does not mean the absence of faith. Just look at Thomas. You you don't have to be doubt-free in order to have tremendous faith. Thomas had doubts. He had big doubts about Jesus. But he, we, we only remember him as a doubter, but he gets a bum rap he, he had so much more to him than what we remember about him. Like, for instance, one time, Jesus was about to enter Jerusalem. He was about to re-enter Jerusalem after nearly escaping there, just barely escaping there with his life, because he'd found out that Lazarus, his friend, was ill. But his disciples were terrified. They're like, don't go there, because they are going to kill you if you go there. And that's when Thomas stood up. And Thomas said, well, let's also go with him that we may die with him. Thomas doesn't get remembered for that. Later, church tradition tells us that after Jesus had risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, that Thomas took the good news of Jesus Christ to Persia and as far east as India. It tells us that Thomas was martyred for his faith and his belief. 
So Thomas was this man of incredible faith, incredible courage and strength, but we remember him as doubting Thomas. So if you encounter doubts, know that you are in good company, (laughs) that remarkable men and women of the faith have gone before us and have doubted. And you don't have to be doubt-free to have great faith. You don't have to be doubt-free to live the adventure that God has for you. So what do we do with our doubts? Well, first, God invites us to be honest about them, to be real. I think so many people come to church and they feel like, I I have doubts and I can't share them. I just have to pretend that they're not here and they're not real. We want to be a place where you can express doubts freely. We don't need to hide our doubts. Thomas didn't hide his doubts. And what did Jesus do? Jesus met him right where he was. Jesus didn't say, anybody who doesn't believe in my resurrection is not worthy of me. He didn't walk into the room and pretend like Thomas wasn't there. He could have easily done that and just ignored him and talked about him behind his back. And, and, and Thomas is like, hello, I can hear you. I'm standing right here. Jesus didn't do any of that. Instead, he looked Thomas right in the eyes, deep into his soul, and he says, Thomas, it's me. I'm alive. Stop doubting and believe. So Jesus met Thomas in his doubt right where he was. He didn't cast him out, and he did not give up on him. So let's be honest about our doubts, too, because God is not threatened by our doubts. He'll meet us right where we are. But let's not stop there. Let's also feed our faith. As I've said, God may not give us the proof that we want. He may not write his name in the sky. He may not speak to us out of a burning bush. He may not do any of those things, but he has given us all that we need to know him and to know his character, to believe that he is real. He's given us his son, Jesus Christ. He's given us his written word that continually reveals to us who he is. God's fingerprints are all over creation. And when we look out, whether from big things or small things, God's presence and his, create, his creativity and his power are everywhere when we look out. And God invites us to do something. And Roy, I don't know if you knew this when you recited Psalm 34 earlier today. You didn't know that. Something that Roy said for us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see. You aren't going to know that God is real, that God is good, that God is worthy of your trust until you jump in, until you taste and see. You know, the things that we eat in high school are, are really Interesting. I used to go, between school and basketball practice, I would go to the apple farm in Slow and get a huge strawberry rhubarb pie a la mode, and I would eat that and then go back to practice. Now, the first time somebody introduced strawberry rhubarb pie to me, I thought, that sounds disgusting. There's no way I'm going to eat that. And so I, I would 
go and I would never eat it. But then one day I decided to give it a try. And when I did, I actually, I loved it. And then that's the only thing I would order when I would go there. I didn't know until I tasted that pie for myself that I would like it. The same thing is true with our relationship with God. We will not know that God is good until we taste and see for ourselves. Do you wonder if God's promises are true? Taste and see. God says that he'll lift up those who are humble. Begin seeking to live a more humble life. What about God's teaching? Is it truly better to give than to receive? Taste and see. Begin to be a giving person. Give to your family, to your friends. Give to your church, to your community. Give to your enemies. Taste and see. Do you wonder if prayer really works? Taste and see. Begin praying. Begin praying regularly and allow God to reveal himself to you through that. Do you wonder if the Bible is true? Taste and see. Begin reading God's word daily and invite him through the Holy Spirit to be present with you as you read his word. Instead of waiting for proof, God says, taste and see that I'm good. Jump in. What are you waiting for? Take that next step in your faith and begin living the adventure that I have planned for you, that I've had waiting for you since the beginning of time. I want to close this morning by just sharing a promise for you. Thomas believed because he had seen. Now, it is unlikely to say the least, that we are going to have the same kind of proof that Thomas did. He got to see the resurrected Jesus. He got to see the nail marks in his hands and where the sword had pierced Jesus' side. It's unlikely that we are going to have that experience, but we have this promise that was in our passage today that is straight from the lips of Jesus. Jesus said to Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. And when we put our faith in the God that we can't see, not with our eyes anyway, we have the promise of divine favor. And that is a promise that we can build our lives around. Please join me in prayer. God, we want proof. <laughs> we want that, just that definitive evidence that you are real and that you're with us. But Lord, you've called us to receive you in faith. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us to be honest about our doubts and then to feed our faith, to taste and see that you are good each day through your word, through what you teach us to do through prayer. And we pray that as we do, that we would find you. In Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org.